The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. Bet on your favorite games like CSGO, Dota 2, and League of Legends and earn Unicorns through successful bets or use Unicorn's exclusive Connect program where you can earn Unicorns just by playing some of your favorite games. Use your earnings to enter Unicorn's raffles for exciting prizes like Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins. So join Chase and Walter and prove who really is the esports gambling expert. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the NALCS Guess the Lines podcast. We are at the quarterfinals. We're there. It's the playoffs. Uh, we've got two great series to break down and try to make sense of, of how these different teams are going to match up head to head. Uh, I'm very excited for the playoffs to finally be here. I feel like taking that week off. Uh, between week nine and here has actually helped build my anticipation for these series. And I can't wait to break them down with my good friend and co-host, Walter Cietis Fedchuk. Walter, how you doing, man? P- playoffs? Like, geez. <laughs> nine weeks. We had a nice bye week. And yeah, the, that week was like allowed me to like simmer all my thoughts to kind of percolate. And uh, we're going to have a nice, nice like seafood gumbo of ideas about what I think about the playoffs. And uh, I don't need to make who... I think are going to win it. Uh, no, and I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty much in the bag. Anyone who's ever watched this podcast could probably have said in week one, "Oh, Walter thinks this team is going to win the uh, the championship." So I'm excited to see the journey of how we get there. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, uh, a lot of times, especially in the first round, uh, that's something that people don't necessarily. Um, you know, they underestimate it. You know, even if it's a series that we think is going to go in a very particular direction, the way we get there is going to tell us a lot about how the rest of the playoffs are going to go. And obviously, uh, every team that's going to be playing this weekend is really hoping to make it to the semifinals, get those circuit points. So it's going to be very fun to see. But before we get there, Walter, we do have to talk just briefly on the summer promotion tournament uh, in North America. We previewed this in full last week. Uh, We said that both LCS teams were likely to retain. We turned out to be 100% right on that end. Was there anything that did surprise you, Walter? Were you surprised that some of these games were as close as they were? I'm I'm a little surprised that United kind of rolled over. Um, And that really had to do because their their Europeans just underperformed. Their imports just played very, very poorly and, and... I know you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Gilius. Yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Gilius. But Fox didn't even play very well no, uh, either. It was, it was definitely in Zazel that really, like, stood out to me. Out of anyone in the tournament, like, everyone played exactly how I expected them to play, except Zazel and Deathly. They stepped up, and they didn't crumble under the pressure against, you know, playing against some of these better bottom lanes. They really did kind of take it to double lift and Matt at, at times. Not, not like the point where they were winning but it was definitely more of a fight and it was very it wasn't easy for double lift to just sort of like dominate them they really put up a fight but it was the the lack of jungle i think gilius mm-hmm. just did not perform well at all uh and and fox is really hinged on his jungler really giving him a lead and really performing well he's only played with really aggressive you know gank heavy junglers and svenskaren and gilius in his career right. uh, so he's become very reliant on sort of their ability to help him carry through his lane um, other than that, he's just a really, really safe laner who's not going to take many risks and not going to go for any flashy outplays or anything like that. Um, so overall, United was kind of disappointing to me, um, but it did make their NA rookies look a lot stronger. If anything, I think the losses put their rookies over, and maybe a team that needs a top laner in the LCS goes after Licorice. I personally would like to see both challenger teams pretty much keep their rosters the exact same and go for it again in the summer. Um, but I know I know you don't agree with that assumption. Yeah, well, I mean, 
A, I just think the, the, the rookie talent here, as you said, there were a lot of pleasant surprises. I think that definitely in Zazel could fit on an LCS roster. You know, questions on where it would fit and, and what teams are going to be looking for that. Obviously, you know, that depends on which teams are going to be looking for roster overhauls. We don't know that yet. We're, you know, the offseason isn't here yet. But I, I do think they have a spot. I think Licorice certainly has a spot. If Seraph is currently in the LCS, there should be a spot for Licorice. And it's something that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I would say for Envious and Liquid to a certain extent, they should really be looking at taking those pieces because there's a reason that those series went five games against Goldcoin United. There, are, there were significant flaws that could be exploited. You know, imagine Liquid, you know, if, assuming Double Lift goes back to TSM, and that is a pretty safe assumption. Matt has been having his own issues. He might not want to play, um, you know, or at least not be the only guy. Like, definitely and Zazel would be a perfect fit for that, right? You know, wouldn't, you know, Envious love to have a guy like Licorice on the roster? That seems like a nice play to go. Um, I, I'm not going to recommend Gilius because I wasn't that high on him heading into the tournament. And I, you know, I hadn't watched him in a while. And I remember now why he's one of my least favorite players in, in League of Legends because he's just so frustratingly inconsistent even within an individual game. It's Nick Young. It, it's like a... It's a version of Dardock to me. It's really what it comes down to. It's a Dardock that ceiling isn't quite as high and whose floor is much lower. And that's a concern. But, you know, that's that, that's me looking at this ceiling. Insane. I think the ceilings on him and Dardock are pretty similar. That, I, think Dar I think that his floor is much lower. Like, I would agree with you on that point. Mileage is obviously going to vary. I, I, I think that's fine. But either way, I, I think that ignoring the individual talents that were on display here uh, would be a mistake for a few of these LCS teams. And unfortunately, you know, what, what that would do for the challenger scene, I'm not particularly sure. It doesn't seem like Riot cares all that much because they had dual streams going on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Riot. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself edit this. F you. <laughs> like genuinely. F you. Oh. I that's that is my that is the summation of my feelings for how Riot treats their challenger series. You. Cuz there was nothing. There was no storytelling aspect to it. There was nothing. It was just yeah, this is going to happen this weekend and eh, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like even the casters didn't seem all that into it. The casters were just like, "Eh, we I got to do this today." Like I just get off the pot, man. I'm future Walter is going to be really annoyed having to edit all of this out, but like either or get off the pot because you're doing such a half ass job at this. Either just get rid of it, make it a 16 team professional scene where, you know, all these owners are just all franchised in and you don't even have to worry about having this relegation system and yada, 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 or actually put some time and effort into actually making this a viable scene a viable league something that people are actually going to pay attention to because like look at it this way triple a baseball sure it doesn't you know fill up yankee stadium or anything but i live in rochester we have a triple a baseball team and i can tell you in the summer that stadium is you know two-thirds packed almost every night unless it's like a tuesday night and it's like a really team like Make people care about it. Give some credence to it. Give some value to it. Give some, like, don't have a Challenger Series playoffs just end with both teams won their first round matchups. And congratulations, you're both winners. You get to go into the promotion tournament. Like, no! Right. A playoff ends with a championship. A playoff ends with a winner and a loser. Not even kill for both of them. And it's just really frustrating that there were a ton of people in seasons four and season season three and season four that had all these third party tournaments and these third party organizers. All these people busted their asses to have to do this stuff. It's really hard to throw a tournament. I understand that. It's really hard to throw a league. I helped do it. I understand that. But all these people that busted their asses doing that, and then this is where we are four years later. Of no one gives a shit. When there were people that did. And it's really, really frustrating 
that I used to, I would just call out Tizza, but I can't call out Tizza anymore because he works on Collegiate. I don't even know who runs the Challenger scene anymore. So I can't even call them out on their bullshit. And it's just frustrating because I know not everybody's going to like Challenger scene. Not everyone likes terrible, you know, mediocre League of Legends. It's why, you know, normal, like, Western fans like me don't necessarily watch the TCL or the LCL or, you know, LA, Latin America, South and North. Like, I get it. I understand. But there is a fan base here and there's a group of people that are passionate about it. And the promotion tournament should be that moment where you tell everyone, guys, there is another league you can watch in your own region. Sure, it's not as good as the LCS, but I'm going to steal a page out of WWE with NXT. It's the stars of tomorrow. And everyone should know who Deathly and Zazel and Licorice are after this tournament. But to the regular fan, when they show up on a roster, someone's going to be on Reddit like, who the hell is Licorice? And you're going to have a smart ass like me. They're like, oh, Licorice was the best top laner in Challenger Series last year. And the person's going to be like, Oh, or worse, I don't believe you because a lot of the times they only have these very small sample sizes because, you know, they don't get to keep up. So you have to do a very good job of establishing that narrative. And I'm with you. I was kind of abhorred by the way that they handled it. And, you know, you mentioned that EU, they didn't even bother to have a, a championship game for their Challenger series. That's not great. And, you know, I, I think both sections of Riot you know, maybe they, you know, they handle things differently to a certain extent, but this is very clearly an attitude that they have across the board. And what, what this tells me, you know, when you have two streams going head to head, you know, you know that people can't watch both. And the message that you're sending is it's not important for you to watch both viewer at home. It doesn't really matter. These teams aren't really teams that you have to worry about because if they were, we'd be highlighting them and we'd be telling more stories and we'd make them their own tournament. We'd have a, you know, a big picture with this. We'd really have, you know, casters who are excited about it instead of looking like they're kind of like, oh man, I got called in on what should be a week off, you know? Because that's what it was for them. Like the between week nine and the playoffs, this is, you know, for half of the casting team, they got their week off and the other half got dragged in and clearly wasn't all that into it. And, you know, you hit it on the head, right? If you don't want to do it, someone else will. And someone else would be happy to do it for you. You could totally outsource this and have 90% of it stay the exact same. That way you'd only have to have one tournament for the challenger promotion side. And you could maybe, I don't know, invest a couple extra days into making it as good as it should be. As it stood, it was a very underwhelming uh, in presentation across the board, and it was just depressing to see as many people as they did just tune out because, well, Riot didn't care, so why should they? And, and, and exactly, that that's the key point right there. That's the question that I feel like everyone goes, if Riot doesn't care about the Challenger series, why should I? And the answer to that question is Cloud9, Renegades, Orient. G2, Gamers 2, whatever, you know, however they started out, G2. The G2 narrative, Splice. But the G2 narrative was one of the best narratives in esports at the time. Of Ocelot was building this team. At first he was playing on it, and they never could get over the hump. They never could get over the hump. They couldn't get in. They couldn't get into the LCS. They finally get into the promotion tournament. And they're the three seed, and they're against an eight seed, and it's like, ah, uh, they're not going to win. And they finally won, and they finally got in. And the jubilation and the excitement that Ocelot had of this dream of being you know, one of the other, like, player-turned-owners to finally get into the LCS. And now I get to, you know, I help these young players get in. And granted, you know, he ended up changing some of the roster, boo-hoo, whatever. But, like, that story was so great. Yes. You don't get those stories in the regular LCS. Sure, Noah Winston buying Immortals is a neat story. But, and this is nothing against Noah or the Immortals organization, they didn't earn their way in. They bought a spot. And to me, that's, sure, VC money, investment, that's cool that we have all this big money coming in, but a story of, of working your butt off, of having to go through you know, the second tier league and making your way into the upper tier league, if we're going to keep relegation, that narrative has got to be the strongest piece of the Challenger series, that story. Because the second a team gets into the LCS, 
That is all the casters can talk about. Oh, this was a team that was in challenge. How many times did we hear that about Splice and G2 about, oh, they were in the Challenger Series last year. We don't, you know, and it's, oh, well, where are they going to place? Oh, maybe seventh or eighth. And then you have G2 that just comes in and wipes the floor, and they haven't lost a split in a year. It took 400 days for them to lose a series in Europe. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And you don't get that narrative. You don't get this building up of your monster in Europe without G2 having that struggle early on and not getting in through relegation and then finally doing it and just taking the scene by storm. That right there is why you need to care about the Challenger series. But it's really hard when Riot just kind of shoves that off until they're halfway through the story and go, oh, now we're going to rewrite the... Now we're going to, you know, read you the first 15 chapters of the story, but we're going to speed read it on autopilot so we can get to what we actually care about, which is, oh, they're in our professional league. And for the record, that never works, right? Like, you can't retroactively make someone care about the buildup that they didn't see. And there are so many times where I hear right when they talk about challenger teams saying, you know, a lot of people don't know X, Y, and Z. Well, they could have known X, Y, and Z. You could have told those stories. You could have made the actual tournament this bigger deal. You chose not to do it. And for me, like, it's the ultimate sign for me that franchising is just clearly on the way and Riot's throwing this together because it needs to be done and they're, they're moving on from it. Because otherwise you would imagine that they would pour more time and and resources into what's going to be a long-term system that teams should be willing to build into, right? Think about how much Riot has, you know, added these different things to make uh, it more lucrative for investors like Immortals to to come in. You know, if if you care about Challenger, then you would want teams to come in on that level in the same way, right? There shouldn't only be one path for these venture capitalists to start investing in the in the in the League of Legends. And Goldcoin United, you know, is an example of, of how that might look, but you know, fans have no idea about that because they never got to tell that story. And at the end of the day, it's, it's very hard for me to tell people, like, this was fun and exciting and interesting because there wasn't the presentation to do that. I couldn't watch both streams at the same time, and I'm an expert who's really invested in this. I can't imagine how alienating it was for the regular viewer, and it's just, it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because, you know, had one of these teams gotten in, this would have been a concern. Now, obviously, you know, LCS spots retain... It's not as big of a deal this time around, but it is unfortunate that there are now all these players that put together good individual performances, or at the very least did interesting things, and most people aren't going to know about it. But, you know, that's we got to move on to more positive things, because the playoffs are on the way, and we have a great series that we start with, Phoenix 1 versus Dignitas. This should be the series of the week, possibly across both regions. Oh, this, easily. Easily. I I, I, have, I like Misfits in, in Splice enough where I'm not sure I'll say easily, but I do think I agree with you. And, and Phoenix 1 is where we should start off here, because Phoenix 1 are the three seed. They were basically locked into it heading into Week 9. But they had a really rough Week 9. And, you know, Walter, I just let's start there. Is... Is it right for people like me to be worried about Phoenix 1 after what we saw in their last two series of the year? Or is that, you know, an overreaction because of the smaller sample size and some of the decisions they made maybe not being as relevant when we look into the playoffs? So I think there's definitely some Ben Spoot misfits, you know, uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't unleash our full power here type thing. I think they were doing some experimentation with their roster. Um, but like, it was against the top two teams in the league. It was against Cloud9, it was against TSM. They got just manhandled by both of them. Um, they made a lot of just casual mistakes that, again, this is a reoccurring theme from Europe. It just seemed like they didn't really care. They knew these matches didn't mean a whole lot. Like you said, they were pretty much locked into that three seed. I don't think there was any way at all that they could have lost the three seed. Right. So the only thing they were playing for was the two seed. And 
maybe they wanted the extra game. Maybe they just wanted that little bit extra stage, pre- like you know, stage practice. I, they were stuck playing against Cloud Nine, anyways. They were going to play against Cloud Nine in the in the semifinals, anyway. So it's not like it was going to change that matchup at all. Yeah. So I'm I'm not as like worried about them, but there were definitely some like there were definitely some issues that I looked at it and went, okay, this could be a worrying sign going up against Cloud Nine or TSM. You know, if they get to the semifinals or the finals. Uh, they did have some, you know, some of these rotational issues where they were changing out their supports and going with, not going with stunt, going with stunt, you know, playing Inori, playing Meteos. Like, when you're in the playoffs, you need to have your five. You need yes. to have your five-man roster. And occasionally, maybe you'll bring in Inori or you bring in Meteos as like a change of pace kind of back. But it's just like in, in the NBA. Sure, you might have a 10-man rotation during the regular season. That shrinks down to seven once you hit the playoffs. Exactly. Like, I think that was what Phoenix One was trying to do, was they were trying to figure out, like, okay, what do we want our five to be? Uh, and I think their five is going to be Medios and Stunt. I think that's going to be the two players that they're going to stick with and they're going to go forward with. I know Stunt did have some issues the last couple of weeks, getting caught out, um, you know, getting hit by skill shots that he shouldn't have been, just, you know, really kind of simple, stupid things. But the kid's a rookie. Yes. It's going to happen. He can't be perfect. I know I had him all pro third team, but, like, he's not going to be perfect. He's still young. He's still going to make some mistakes. Across the board, you got players like Doublelift and Wild Turtle that still step up into skill shots like it's nothing. And these guys are these guys are savvy veterans. These guys are, you know, potential Hall of Famers when you look at the end of their careers. So the the you know, the tiny little micro misplays from a player, I'm not so worried about. It's more of the overall like macro strategy that Phoenix One just again, they sort of just rolled over and said, "We're going to let you guys do whatever you want with uh with objectives and we'll, you know, we'll kind of go from there. And this is a game right now that is very objective focused. You really are focusing on these tower pushing compositions. You're really focusing on these fights around Baron and Dragon. You can't just tell the other team, we're just going to farm minions. You take the objectives and we'll beat you anyways. Like that doesn't happen. Um, I'm, I'm not as worried at the end of the day, but it could be a very worrying sign when we get to the semifinals. Yeah, I mean, certainly you would expect a team that, you know, throughout the regular season, up until Week 9, they were actually known for these objective takes, right? I mean, their Dragon rate was first heading into the week. Now it's second at 57%. Uh, Their Baron control was first going into the week. Now it's second at 59%. Uh, You would imagine that, you know, these are things that they want to return to. And maybe it is as simple as they're just going to flip a switch and they're going to be okay in that regard. My biggest concern is that there was not enough consistency in that bot lane for me to feel comfortable throwing Shady in there. You know, this is something that we talk about all the time with, you know, the 80 carry support synergy needs to be on point. You know, for my time coaching, I can tell you that that's the relationship I spent the most time on because getting them to understand what the other one wants in the laning phase. What are their goals early on? You know, do we want them to roam or do we not want to roam? Are we trying to, you know, trying to get, uh, bully them out of lane and put them, you know, force them to farm under their own tower? Are we sitting back so that we can, you know, force them to maybe, you know, c- extend too much and we can punish them with a gank from Meteos or Inori, whoever that guy's going to be? And right now... Arrow didn't look comfortable with either one of them, which is a you know a concern because Arrow was to us you know he was my MVP pick. I know he was your MVP pick. You know we think very highly of of him and, and the ability to have a player who could be the best player on the Rift in any individual series is something that Phoenix One is really going to want to rely on. But now we're at the spot where I don't know if they've taken the time to to figure out what best way to move him forward. And that's a concern to me. My other concern, Walter, is is there a, a snowballing effect here with Phoenix One? Because when you look at their series, they went 11-7 and seven overall. Of those series, they were almost all two zeros. They, they were very dominant in that regard. But their losses, those seven losses, were almost all zero twos. There was only one series in which they went one and two. So, is that a concern for you? Do you think that they they are potentially going to tilt on that mental side of things, or do you think that they have uh, you know enough tools that they'll be able to overcome that? I don't. I don't think that's a tilt thing at all. I don't think that has anything to do with mental play. I think that has to do with they are a team that is we are either going to win or we are going to lose. 
Um, and it's not going to be quick. It's like the old Immortals thing. We'd rather lose fast than, you know, drag it, this thing out. They'd rather take that risk earlier on in, a, you know, in an attempt to turn the game as quickly as possible. And I think that's something that Phoenix One does a lot when they are behind. They really try to make plays to get themselves back into the game. And it's great. When they work out, it'll pull you back into the game. When you go for, you know, a sneaky Baron, that'll pull you back into the game. When you go for a team fight at Dragon, if you win it and you get the Dragon and you can start pushing down some towers, great. That'll get you back in the game. The problem is when those things backfire on them, that is what creates the snowball on the other side, which then pushes it. Um, I just think they're a very, a very definitive, we are going to make a play, you know, whether we're ahead or we're, whether we're behind, we'd rather lose quickly than, you know, take 60 minutes to lose a game. So it, I don't think it's a mentality thing. I, I know that when you look at it, it does seem kind of like, mm, I don't like that they lose a lot of O2s. That doesn't seem great. But I think it's just more that they're very decisive in terms of their shot calling and they are like, well, we're going to make this play and we're either going to win, you know, it's either going to get us back in the game or we're going to lose anyways. So um, it doesn't worry me. The mentality aspect doesn't worry about me. The individual mentality aspect of some players does worry me. It does feel like if you want to pinpoint certain players, Inori is sort of like that, where if he starts out kind of weak, he doesn't really get back into the game. Or if there's like a moment in the mid game where he gets caught out or makes a misplay or something like that, then you can sort of feel ripples of it throughout the rest of the game. Um, same thing with Zig, in all honesty. Zig feels like a very flow-based player. And what I mean by that is that the flow of his lane, if he can get started, it can start building up a little bit of an advantage. And it doesn't have to be kills. It can be, you know, a couple of creeps, or it can just be the tempo of the the lane itself, whether he's able to control the wave and manipulate it to push or to, you know, freeze when he wants to, he seems to then carry that momentum on, and that's when you see the really strong games out of Ziggs. When he doesn't isn't able to control his opponent and he isn't able to get just that little, you know, little Herod's breath advantage, then it seems that it goes back the other way and that he really struggles in the laning phase, that then since he's much weaker than his top laner, it doesn't allow him to do as much as he can in team fights or teleports like that. Mm-hmm. And that worries me, especially in this series, because he's against Someday. Yeah, that's a and concern. Someday is really hard to beat in lane. Like, really hard to beat in lane. He is very good at manipulating waves. Yeah, uh, to give a specific number to that point, uh, Someday right now is the best laning top laner in the league. He averaged a 169 gold difference at 10 minutes, uh, which is pretty significantly ahead of the next closest. Uh, Zig, on the other hand, had a negative 106 gold differential at 10 minutes on average. Only Lorlo, Balls, and Ray were worse. That's not really where you want to be. And I, I, do, I do agree with you that that's going to be a, a concern for them in terms of you know getting enough momentum in the other lanes to keep him ahead and put him in a place where he can be comfortable and, and be a valuable asset when they do want to turn those big fights that are going to accelerate the pace of the game. Dignitas, obviously, is going to be looking uh, to come up with a very different way of of winning. This is a, a much, I, I would say, a, a very different pace for, for the team. What are you seeing in Dignitas that has you excited about them heading into the playoffs? I mean, I still don't think they're a contender, which disappoints me because I thought they were going to win. I thought they were going to get everything to match. But they learned how to play around someday yes. in a way that wasn't saying someday you know we're gonna hop on your back we expect you to be our only win condition they've done things to accentuate their other players strengths they've really started to get keen counter picks they've really been focusing on getting keen the last pick and putting him into advantageous matchups for himself they've really focused on what is lot good at lot is good at being a bully and pushing towers hmm let's have lot play zigs and just bully the bot lane and take towers. When you put these press- this kind of pressure in the other lanes, that then allows Chaser more lanes to gank. When it was, let's put everything on top of Someday and hope he can carry, Chaser almost exclusively went into the top lane. Keen on his roams almost went exclusively into the top lane because they were so focused on this, we need to get Someday ahead, we need to get Someday ahead, we need to get him split pushing, we need... He's our only win condition that you could basically guarantee Chaser was never going to go bot lane. Right. And in the last half of the split, Chaser is now, you know, now that they've realized the strengths and weaknesses of their lanes and how to highlight their strengths, now Chaser feels confident and comfortable 
going for bot lane ganks, going for mid lane ganks, just invading, and sort of leaving Someday mostly on his own, and relying on the fact that Someday is such a great laner. He has 8.6 CS per minute. If you're looking at Zig, that's one CS per minute more than Zig. Looking at CS differential, he also leaves the league in CS differential at 10 at 4.8. That's almost three points higher. Uh, I'm sorry, that's almost a point and a half higher uh, than the second person, which is Flame. And that's almost three points higher than Haunters, who we both think could possibly be an MVP and is the best top laner in the region. Yes. So that says a lot about just what Someday can do in lane, especially if it's just a one-on-one -on -one scenario. Because while you do want to go shut down Someday as an enemy jungler, if Chaser's going into the bot lane and they're playing the Zix competition, three people versus two people pushing a bottom tower is going to mean your bottom tower dies, and Dignitas gets that early burst of gold out of that. So right. I think it's just they said, we know Someday can be a win condition, but he doesn't have to be our only win condition. We do have players that are pretty good. And if I was to choose like a most improved player of the split for the split, it would be Keen. Yeah. I think Keen is really broken out of his shell. And granted, like he still has some really, really stupid decisions. He walks into some bushes that I'm just like, I don't know why you're there at all. <laughs> his roam sometimes can just come up completely empty where he doesn't take anything. He doesn't go put down a ward in the enemy jungler or like anything. Right. But he's really established himself as a very solid, you know. If you want to be a top three mid laner in North America, you have to be able to beat me kind of gatekeeper, which is cool. I like that. He's one of those guys that stuck around for a while, and I like to see him succeed. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think they just figured out how to win games. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I, I will say I agree with your points on Keen. Uh, I think he's been a very pleasant surprise for me. Uh, when we talked in the preseason, uh, he was a guy that, was one of the biggest reasons I was down on Dignitas because I didn't trust him to be able to be that guy. And certainly he's not perfect. Uh, there are enough like really weird Azir ults and everything else that, that come up from time to time where it's like, Oh, keen. But at the end of the day, they have done a very good job of, you know, getting someday ahead, getting their other lanes in a, in a point where they can at least, you know, contribute rather than putting it all on him. The concern for me comes into what happened when we saw, you know, Dignitas play against Cloud9. Because that was a series in which they did get Someday ahead. They got Someday severely ahead, and it was irrelevant. Uh, because as soon as the mid to late game rolled around, his lead wasn't able to translate into important objectives or into the, you know, kind of team fights that they needed to win. So what can they do, Walter, to fix that? What can they do to, to, you know, pick either better fights against Phoenix One or to pick, you know, just have a, a better way to translate the effort that they're putting in the laning phase into a more well-rounded uh, victory at the end of the day? Don't team fight. Pick one, three, one. I, I, I know you're laughing, but it's that it's keep it simple, stupid. Like it's yeah. that simple. Play one, three, one split push compositions. Play one, you know, one or split push compositions, play pick compositions. Your team is not good at team fighting, and I don't think your players are good at team fighting. You look back at Lod's envious days. The envious when they were successful wasn't because Lod was, you know, this awesome team fight AD carries, because they were playing pick compositions. They were relying on Hakuo and Seraph and Ninja and all these players to roam around the map and play these kind of pick compositions. That's what Dignitas is good at. When you have a player as good as Someday, who's one of the best top laners in, Europe, in North America, let him split push. I, I know we just said, oh, you can't just rely on him to be his only win condition. No, but a split push isn't your only win condition if you split push. Right. You use that split push to pull the enemy team across the map. I look back at the Fnatic series against Misfits. Soaz was split pushing as Shen. Shen doesn't take towers very fast. But because there is a Shen that is split pushing, they just pull the enemy team apart and they make the map very, very wide. They are over by Baron. They're almost all the way up in the top lane. So you're pulling Misfits all the way over there. And then you have Shen, who's in the bottom lane, about as far away from his team as possible. And you're making that enemy top laner make a decision between, do I stop the split push? Do I go help my team take the 5v4? And that is where you have to re you know, use the strength of force the enemy team to make the decision and then be ready to disengage when they do. Yeah. So as is very good at that of when that top laner shows up, I'm out of here so I can TP if we want to start a 4v5. They're very good at baiting out teleports. That's what you need to do in this series. 
bait out Ziggs' teleport, bait out, you know, bait out any other globals that they might have if they play Rek'Sai or if they have TF or anything like that. Bait out the globals and then utilize that fact that you have your global to stretch Phoenix One out. Phoenix One isn't very good when they have to make when they have multiple decisions about what they're doing in the heat of the moment. If you pull them apart and you're telling them, you either have to stop someday from taking your bottom tower or you need to stop us from taking Baron, Phoenix One takes a minute to make that decision. And it's not in a like philosophical, thought-provoking, like, mm, well, let me ponder the meaning of the universe type way. It's more of like, oh my God, what do I do? 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 And then they make their decision. And most of the time it's right. Most of the time, they make the correct decision, and in that instance, it's stop the Baron. Mm-hmm. But it t- that you know that split second of indecision could be the difference between you getting that bottom tower or you escaping from that Baron pit, you know that Baron bait scenario, or you getting caught out. Um, so I think that's really where Dignitas has to apply sort of a pressure point: is you do have an exceptional top laner against a weaker top laner. Yes. But someday, having all your gold and having all the experience and and just you know sitting in a side wave is not a win condition in, of the, in and of itself. Right. It's how you use it, and you don't need to put all your gold and experience and, and farm into him to utilize that type of split-pushing scenario. You just need to give him a little bit of a lead over that enemy top player. So I think that's, if Dignitas is going to win this series, they have to do that three out of five games. Yeah. And, you know, what that also does, you know, for the record, if you can get Sunday going a little bit, then Chaser can theoretically... Put that attention on the bottom half of the map because the bottom half of the map is going to need the help. Certainly, uh, Ryu is a strong mid laner. Arrow, we already said, was someone that we we put as the MVP of the season. Uh, Inori and Medios both are are very good at kind of ganking and getting those lanes ahead. So if Chaser doesn't have the same impact, if if Keen and Lod are kind of left to fend for themselves, this is going to be a, a problem for them. It, certainly, I, I think. How we exit the laning phase is going to tell us a lot. When Phoenix 1 wins, they tend to have won early and can snowball pretty effectively. When Dignitas wins, it's been much longer, drawn-out games. And, you know, that's not necessarily a positive, but it is something where, you know, Phoenix 1 doesn't necessarily have that snowballed lead. The longer the game goes, the more Dignitas is, is comfortable compared to what you'd expect Phoenix 1 to be at. So, Walter, all of this into account. Where did you put the line? Um, one final point. I yes. think Rengar and Elise are going to be very, very important in this series. Yes. They're going to be very, very important from a... Elise can tilt that top lane matchup early on, and Rengar, once he hits six, can tilt that matchup You know, going into the mid-game. So keep an eye out on those two picks. I think that both players are very good at those picks. Um, Medios plays. Elise obviously goes up in priority. If Inori plays, I think it's Rengar that goes up in priority for Phoenix 1. Yeah. That being said... I have Phoenix 1 at minus 200. Okay, you and I split this one because I also said Phoenix 1 minus 200. It is Phoenix 1 minus 185, which gives uh, Dignitas at plus 140. Now, if you're thinking that Phoenix 1 is going to win this series uh, by a considerable margin, a 3-1 or better, uh, that would be plus 120. Otherwise, uh, if you think it's going to five maps, it's plus 175. There, there wasn't any other plus odds as far as uh, things that I noticed as prop bets that would be super valuable. That's the problem is I, I feel like... See, I have this as a 3-1 Phoenix 1 victory, just to give my, my prediction right here. I, I think the Phoenix 1 is the better team. I, I trust that they will figure it out, even if they didn't necessarily... Uh, show at the end of the split that they, you know, they they didn't necessarily pick the best guys at the best time, but they've had a whole week, and I I think that week does a lot for a team like that that you know was relying on building up some synergy that wasn't necessarily there at the end of the split. Well, now they've had a lot of time to practice that, so so I don't mind the the three one at all. If you would prefer to take something more on the safe I, side, I I don't mind the three one at all either. The, my issue is I only see two outcomes on the series. I, I see Phoenix 1 winning in 4, or I see Dignitas winning in 5. Right. Those are the only two outcomes I see. I don't see this being a sweep in either way. Yeah, I agree um, with that. I don't see Dig winning 3-1. I, I think it's either it's going to go to 5 maps, 
and Dignitas wins, or Phoenix 1 wins in 4. So I think Phoenix 1 winning in 4 is more likely. And you said that's at plus 125? That's plus 120. 120? Yes. Okay. So. I have to think about it. Okay. Yeah, we'll I come back to it. I have to think about it. it. We'll come back. We've got another series here, and that series is going to start with uh, CLG versus FlyQuest. This was uh, the one that we... We really didn't know until the very last series uh, which one of these teams was going to uh, sneak in. Uh, FlyQuest needed to win against Team Liquid, and they were able to finally secure that. It was not an easy series for them. It went the full three maps. They did beat up on Echo Fox, though, so I don't want to pretend that they're not uh, that they didn't, you know, at least have some signs of, of life compared to what we've seen. Walter. What are your what's your feeling on FlyQuest heading into it? Do you feel better or worse after what you saw in week? Um, see, I, I feel slightly better about FlyQuest, not because of their performances in week nine, but because it's uh it's high and I just know there's gonna be some crazy backdoor late game macro decision that FlyQuest is going to win because they make some weird decision. They're going to go for a base race or something ridiculous. Like that's going to be one of the one of the outcomes of one of these games is just going to be high makes a shot call decision and it's going to decide the game. Um, and I feel a little bit better about FlyQuest because of that because they have high. But at the same time, they're against probably the other like real like historically really good macro shot calling team in CLG right. at least over the past two years basically that's been clg's calling card has been we're really good at macro decisions and we're really good at these you know mid to late game team fights which makes this matchup very very interesting to me um at the end of the day it just comes down to flyquest is not as talented out of the six teams here they aren't as talented as the other six teams they aren't as talented as i think uh i think you know echo fox or immortals either they got here just through like sheer force of will and Echo Fox, that's harsh. Team fight decision making. Echo Fox was really not a good team down the stretch. Immortals, I, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying talent though. I'm saying talent, talent wise. Okay. I think talent wise, Echo Fox, top, you know, top men in jungle were more talented than FlyQuest and then FlyQuest top men in jungle. We can argue about Acadian and Mood. That's fine, but I'm just saying that's yeah. when I look at just pure talent. That's that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Um, so I guess the the question has to be then, how can they minimize the impact of that? How what can FlyQuest do other than just high shenanigans? Uh, because there will be some shenanigans, I'm sure, in the pick and van phase. I expect some shenanigans. What what are the tangible things they could do to set themselves up in that regard? Because they are certainly the I, underdogs here. I mean, that's the problem. Is like it's not tangible. This isn't a, like, it, sure, in pick and ban, I could say, oh, they pick, you know, winning lane matchups for themselves. But we're talking about two teams that don't really care about lane dominance. Mm. That's not their style. They care about that one team fight, you know, from the 25 to 40 minute mark. Like, I'm going back to the first time that, C, that TSM and FlyQuest played and High was on Oriana. And, and FlyQuest's entire strategy was mind meld trick. TSM into walking to Oriana ultimates. And that was their win condition was TSM, walk into my Oriana ultimate. Please. <laughs> yes. like, how do you quantify that? How do I say that's tangibly what needs to happen? Because that's both of these teams' win conditions is try not to get just destroyed in the laning phase. You know, try and keep it close and then know that you're better at team fighting. You're better at making decisions about how to pull people around the map, making that decision of when someday is split pushing, nope, I'm going to ignore someday, we're going to go fight 4v5, or we're going to make someday come to us, that type of stuff, which both of these teams are very good at. FlyQuest, because of High and his puppet master, you know, shot calling style, and CLG, because they just, that's just them, that's just how they built that entire roster, is we're all on the same page, we all know what our job is supposed to be, we all know what we're doing in team fights, and it seems almost for CLG instinctual at this point. Not, you know, that Aphromoo is pulling everybody's strings or Smithy or whoever. Um, and it's really tough to quantify that. It's really hard to say, you know, definitively, if FlyQuest does this, this, and this, they win this series because both teams are so reliant on that one team fight. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that, right? Because that's certainly not how anyone would have described FlyQuest during the first four weeks. 
You know, originally this was a team that was hyper aggressive in the laning phase. You know, you saw Moon ganking all of the time and they would just snowball these games. You know, they were at one point the best early game rating team in the league. Right now they're fifth at 54.1, you know, so a pretty steep drop off of that regard. But they still have the fastest average game time in the league. They still really like to accelerate the pace and that big team fight that they want to win, they want to win it around that 25 or 30 minute mark because the longer it goes on, those team fights get worse and worse and worse for FlyQuest. I, they definitely haven't been as sharp on that in, in recent weeks. So I, I, I don't mean to disagree. I mean more to say I, I think that they need to return to that. I think they really yeah. need to get back to those aggressive plays. You know, force CLG to be on the back foot, which should be easy enough to do. CLG's landing phase has been terrible. They're right now, uh, they had a 44 early game rating in the regular season. That is the second worst in the league. Only Team Liquid had a worst early game. Uh, If you look just across the board at CLG, the only (coughs) members of CLG that actually had a a lead heading uh, out of the laning phase was Darshan, of all people, which seems kind of crazy to think about, but that's what they were able to do. Yeah, so... Let's let's just flip this to the CLG side of things here because, you know, this is a team that obviously didn't necessarily start the season impressing us, but has slowly improved bit by bit by bit. What is the the thing that you believe is is going to pay off in, in the biggest way for CLG? What is the strategy? That meta. There it is. AD carry meta. That is the the Early utility AD carry meta essentially neutered who I think is the best player on this team in Stixe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Stixe is not the flashiest of players. He's not a double lift where he's, you know, has these immense mechanical outplays where you're like, oh my god, Stixe! He's very much a sneaky. But the problem is, is that it's not because of his Ash ultimates. Like, that was how Sneaky became famous, was playing these Ash's Ira compositions. He is a pinnacle of utility carry Ash, you know, Varus, Jin. Sivir type play. That is where he really sticks in. Sticks A is much better at that sort of mid middle where you're not a hard carry, but you're not all you're not a utility guy. You're somewhere in between the Lucians, the Azriels, the Caitlins, where you can be one or either. A Caitlyn could set up, set up her tar- out, her uh, her traps, and just be a tower killing machine. Or she could be on the outside of team fights. You get a runons, and get, you're getting these headshot crits off. You know, on all of these different members, you can be like that. Lucian, you can be this sort of you know armor shredding ult bot, or you could be very powerful in the early game and you know out dueling your enemy laner and getting all these towers early and really trying to be this duelist. Um, same thing with Ezreal. You can either go blue build and your entire purpose is kite, 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 or you go Triforce and it's, I know how to sk- hit skill shots, I'm going to deal a ton of damage to you because, haha, Triforce, tons of damage. Mm-hmm. So I think when it gets into this kind of mishmash of 80 carries where you can kind of go either way, that's where Stixa really excels. And that really helps this team because Hui's damage is inconsistent. Yes. Hui is turning into the new Keen where he has some games where he uses one of his weird picks, and you're like, oh my god, who is really good at, you know, Aurelian Soul? And then he plays something like Oriana, and you're like, <laughs> don't play Oriana or Victor ever again. Yeah. Please, this is awful. Xmithy has been inconsistent the entire split. Um, Darshan, only up until the last couple weeks, has been, you know, the the sort of weaker version of Darshan, the... You know, the, the kryptonited version of Darshan, where he's like, yeah, I'm an okay laner. I'm kind of okay at team fights. Like, I don't stand out in anything. And then Aphromoo has been the sa- same old self, where he's, you know, this really good vision control early on. Sure, he's going to get caught out every once in a while. He's really good at the mechanics of the game in terms of his skill shot. But because he didn't have the damage output from his AD carry, the punishment and these sort of, you know, catches that he was getting weren't really punished right. because he didn't have the damage to back him up. So I think the 80 carry meta change is going to be a godsend for CLG. Yeah. Until they play TSM and then they're screwed. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing where, you know, obviously th- this all helps them to a point. CLG, I, I think you're absolutely right. And-, and this is a team that isn't necessarily going to win on their mechanics. They're going to win on their macro play. And that's something that certainly I, I want to see 
uh, you know, more of in that regard. It, you know, we kind of associate it with the Zix system, right? It's it's not necessarily translating in the early game, but it does do a very good job when it uh, comes to objectives. You know, do we, Dragon, they take 53% of those. That's the third highest in the league. Baron, they have 57%. That's the fourth highest in the league. That's a really nice spot to be in, and they're doing it without having the kind of lane advantages that we usually associate with teams that are able to then claim those objectives for themselves. So certainly, they're able to find some holes that other teams aren't, and when you have as many pocket picks as someone like a he does, that's certainly going to help. What's the big concern, Walter, uh, in this series for you? Because as much as we can say, like, FlyQuest is, is kind of on a downward swing, and I think that's very fair, you know, CLG is certainly not a... a perfect team. There are, there are clear flaws here that, you know, as you mentioned, are probably going to come back to haunt them later. What's the, the fear that, you know, you think is going to keep CLG fans from being able to just, you know, rest easy knowing that this is going to work out for them? Who's the second carry? Who, who is the second carry behind Stixay? Is it Hui? Is it Darshan? Is it Xmithy on Graves? Which one of those players shows up? It could be a combination. Like, all three of them could just show up the entire series, and then I'm not worried about it at all. But I talk about FlyQuest being at a talent dis you know, talent disadvantage. Um, like, Moon and High are pretty good. That's a pretty good one-two punch. I'll be honest about that. And the thing about CLG is just the inconsistency among those three players is who's going to be the one... No, is Hui going to show up and essentially neuter high? Because if that happens, then I think they have a really good chance. Is Xmithy going to show up and neuter Moon? Is Darshan going to show up and just become so massive as a tank that it doesn't matter how much damage Moon and high can output? Right. Um, I haven't even mentioned Alltech and Lemonation because, let's be honest, there's literally nothing special about them other mm. than Mordekaiser, <laughs> I guess. Please no. Please no. Can Please we... no BR Hume. Please no? <laughs> no? No. <laughs> Chase has been around since season two, so he understands yeah, the I, theme. I understand the way, way, way. I just say no way, way, way. That's where I stand today, day, day. <laughs> that's all I've got to say. say, I, don't, say. I, don't want to, I, I don't want to see Mordecai either. But like, that's the thing. Like We, we literally, when you talk about FlyQuest, you talk, you're talking about high and move. Those are the only two players on that team you remotely care about because the other three are are so milk toast. I think they're Danny Rand and Iron Fist. It's just they're just bland. They're just bland. They don't do anything. Anytime this team wins, it's not because you're like, oh, Balls made a great play. Alltech made a great play. It was like, yeah, Moon or High had an exceptional play, and that's what won them a game. It's never been, you know, Alltech hard carried. Everything is always a setup for Moon or High, and that's where I think CLG might struggle. But at the same time, it could just be that the other four players, like Stixay takes, you know, is the equivalent to one of FlyQuest carries, and the other four CLG players are just that much better that it doesn't matter that FlyQuest has that extra eight and that extra carry, you know, that extra star. It's that the team effort of CLG is going to be enough to just sort of block it out, you know. Yeah. I'm thinking sort of like. Sort of like in 300, you know, the team members of CLG will block out the sun, that type of thing. So in this case, it would be the moon. But <laughs> yeah, I, I just, this is, this is a team where I think the two best players on the Rift are on FlyQuest. But three through eight are CLGs. See, I, I think Stixay is probably the best player on the Rift as far as I'm concerned here. I, I, I think Stixay has been great and, and, you know, it hasn't. You know, the CLG's stats, when you look at pure KDA, don't necessarily look all that great because when they lose, they die a lot. But it's worth pointing out that Stixay had more kills overall than Arrow did, only slightly behind in kills per game. Certainly, he's been a playmaker for them in a way that Alltech just hasn't been. He, he does fine. You know, he's, you know, there was a reason I almost had him as my third team All-Pro. Like, he's, he does enough. He doesn't get you in trouble. He's going to get out of the laning phase without being too far ahead or behind in either direction. He'll clean up fights when the rest of his team gets the engages. It just feels like that synergy, which has been the strength for FlyQuest and was the thing that carried them so much in the first half of the season, well, this is CLG. CLG's been playing together even longer uh, you know, as a full five unit. Certainly, some FlyQuest guys have been playing longer as, you know, the core three, but, you know, synergy is not the problem here. 
you're not going to have one team that's more cohesive because they have more experience together than the other. It's going to be who can execute on that. And at least recently, it, it does feel like CLG are better at executing their current plan than what FlyQuest has been doing. So, Walter, all of this into account. What's your uh, what's your bet for the week? Where do you think the line goes? All right, so so CLG fans, calm down. I know I'm being very very nice about you. It's because next week I'm about to murder, like just murder you, <laughs> just so you know. So I'm getting all my nice words out of the way now. So next week, the TSM fanboy is going to come out because TSM aren't playing this week. So I I felt no reason to bring out the TSM fanboy, even though I've said TSM what five times in this TSM sentence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you're gonna get your comeuppance next week, guys. Don't worry, an elephant never forgets, and TSM versus CLG is one of the old school rivalries. Uh, that being said, that should tell you who I think is going to win this series. I have CLG at minus 175. Yeah, you got this one, and with it, the lead in the contest. I, I overthought it, which is a running theme on all of these episodes I've been losing recently. I just looked at CLGs last week, and I said, you know, they got 2-0'd by Immortals, and I didn't think Immortals... Well, you know, they didn't make the playoffs, so they clearly had some severe flaws, and they needed three maps to beat Envious, including that Game 3, which was a giant clown fiesta. So I said CLG minus 140. I thought that was fair. Uh, it turns out the actual line is CLG minus 208. So they're much heavier favorites than I expected. That puts FlyQuest at plus 155, which is not bad underdog value. Not bad underdog value. It's not bad. They're uh, looking at um, some odds just to throw these prop bets potentially out there. CLG minus one and a half if you think they get the three one or better. That's plus 110. Uh, FlyQuest plus one and a half. So if you think they lose 3-2 or win the series, that's minus 143, uh, which is pretty solid value on that end if you think it's at least going to be close. And five maps plus 175, just like Phoenix 1 versus Dignitas. So... Walter, of those, which one stands out to you as the one you feel most confident about? Um, five maps. Five maps was 175? Uh, five maps is, I think, where it is. Uh, okay, that's fine with me. I, I think that's fair. Certainly, even you know, if Envious can force a third map, I think FlyQuest should be more than able to make this a, a back-and-forth series. We still have to pick one for Phoenix One Dig Walter. Did you, did you have? Yeah, I, I'm a, I, I think the Phoenix One minus one and a half at plus okay. one twenty. Yeah. I, I think that's why I finally settled on that. I, it's not. I want Dignitas to win that series. I really do, and I'm trying to like keep my heart down and be mm -hmm. like, no, like no, no. I get it. You have a you have a man crush on Keenan Lod. I get it. I get it. But Expecial is still on this team, and to ask him in a five-game series, not to get caught out in three of them is just too much, dude. It's just way too... It's sort of like asking Ryan Fitzpatrick not to throw an interception. It's just impossible. Yeah. Um, so I got to go with the head here. I think the Phoenix one minus one and a half at plus 120 is pretty good odds. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, unless... You know, maybe what you need to do is just hide the nameplates and convince X-Special that he's playing against CLG. Uh, that seems to work out pretty well overall. So maybe that's a, a play. But, you know, this has been a, a fun podcast. I, I, I'm excited to see how these matches end up. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll be back next week to break down these and our European matches, as we always do. Europe on Wednesday, North America on Thursday. There will also be somewhere in that mix. We'll go over the EU promotion series since there will still be another week of that coming down the pipeline. Uh, Don't remind me. Yeah, well, look, man, we've, we're, we're doing it. Someone has to care, and if Riot's not going to, then we might as well take up the mantle. Uh, of course, you can find us all over social media. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. And yes, CLG fans, your comeuppance is coming. Again, don't worry about it. I've got some very mean things to say to you next week. Brilliant. Especially if you lose. Ah! What could possibly go wrong? I, I'm at Redshirt King. Feel free to message me on there. I love talking to you guys about all this stuff, so keep the conversation going. We are going to be back uh, twice this week because there's a certain Hearthstone expansion that's dropping soon, and we have our, our resident nepotism episodes that we just need to keep up with whenever Hearthstone things go on. And, of course, 
we wouldn't just do the North American All Pro Awards if we didn't also plan to look at the European side of things. So stick here, uh, you know, make sure you're subscribed to everything. Stay tuned. And until next time, bye, Internet. Hey there, Sadie's here. Thanks for checking out the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, consider supporting us at www.patreon.com backslash roughdraftspod. For just a dollar a month, you can join your fellow listeners in our patron-only Discord channel and help keep the content coming, or join our VIP club, where a dollar a show or eight bucks a month gets you first priority on all patron content, like our patron-only Q&As. And check us out on all of our social media, Twitter, at RoughDraftsPod, Facebook.com, backslash RoughDraftsPod, SoundCloud.com, backslash EsportsRoughDrafts, as well as on iTunes and YouTube by just searching for the Rough Drafts Podcast. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, Internet.